wonderful day. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Welcome to drboycetv.com, the home for intelligent black people. And as you guys know, we like to have intelligent conversations. We also like to put our community first. We also like to hear all ideas put on the table uh, because we shouldn't be offended because people think differently from us. You can actually learn from people who think differently from you. And a guy that's probably going to challenge your thinking in a lot of ways. In fact, this brother pissed off some of y'all when I told him he was coming in here, but I'm glad he's here is Mr. Jason Whitlock. Uh, Jason is a uh, a noted journalist. Uh, he is a sports expert. He's also the host of the podcast Fearless with Jason Whitlock. That's the right title, right? Did I get yes, that right? sir. Yes, All right. Sir. And that uh, podcast is available wherever podcasts are heard. Uh, it's on Blaze TV, YouTube, and all the way across the board. So I'd like to ask my brother today, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, boys. Happy Thursday to you, or happy day before Friday. The weekend's almost here. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, well, it's good, it's good to have you, man. We, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of conversations uh, in private, and I went on your podcast, but we had not had a conversation in public in this platform before. So this is a, this is a long time coming. Man, listen, I appreciate you having me. I'm looking forward uh, to the conversation. Obviously, you're somebody that I think is very smart. Obviously, I think you're somebody that I think points to real solutions. Uh, and a lot of your solutions are based in economic power and us acquiring e- economic power and trying to correct our problems from a, a foundation of strength rather than weakness. And it's, you know, Whatever we may disagree on, we agree on that for sure. And and I certainly believe that your intentions are, are great and good and, and just necessary for, you know, we need to be having those kind of thoughts and discussions rather than worrying about how white people feel about us. Let's worry about how we can empower ourselves. Exactly. I hope everybody in the chat, give me a yes in the chat if you can at least agree with me that we need to stop sitting around wondering what white people think about us. Give me a yes. Just type yes in the chat if if we can at least start there. Uh, because I, I believe that even, even when you're going to disagree, you got to start off with the common ground. And I hope that we can at least start off by understanding that what white people think about us is not is not relevant. It's what we think about ourselves. So let me dive right in. Okay, so Jason, when, when I mentioned on my Instagram, my Instagram is the real voice Watkins. <clears throat> Any of y'all can follow. Uh, I mentioned that uh, you were coming onto the platform and I heard, I saw a lot of different reactions, you know, cause I listen to my people. I listen to intelligent black people out there. And there were some folks who said, Oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear what the guy has to say. He's a smart guy. And then there were people who came that came at it pretty hard. You know, this guy is a, you know, we use the C word. I, I'm not going to use it cause they treat it like a cuss word on YouTube, but but he's backward and he's he's why would you have somebody like that on and what's wrong with him? And uh, and I, I just made a simple point that uh, even when we disagreed, I gained respect for you because I respect anybody who says what's on their mind, even if I disagree. Uh, I think at the very worst, uh, you know, people would maybe see you as the, the 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 uncle at the barbecue, you know, who loves the family, who loves black people. But he's got some opinions that don't necessarily make sense all the time to everybody at the table. Uh, can you kind of talk about that? Just what that feeling is like uh, dealing with the black community where you get so many different reactions to your commentary? You know, it, it, it's it's funny because there is the online reaction, uh, which I think is different than the reaction that I get in reality and in my real life. You know, just last weekend, I went home uh, 
because my university, Ball State University, had their annual football or golf outing. And all of my best friends are guys that I played football with at Ball State. We developed a brothers, uh, a brotherhood and a bond that has lasted more than 30 years. So all black dudes. Uh, and so the day after, we have a barbecue amongst ourselves at one of our teammates' houses. And guys that I went to Ball State with come by that, that didn't play on the team. And it's just a group of black dudes, many of them uh, Kappas or Qs, some of them not Greek-affiliated. But the conversation and engagement I have with them and my family is a lot different than what I get over social media from people who don't know me. Uh, and, and, and really, to me, are saying things that I'm not even sure if they really believe. I think they're saying things that they think will be met with positive energy over social media or, or, or whatever. But I, I don't think anybody can honestly analyze, and this is particularly from afar, people from afar can't look at my career and say, oh, man, that dude sold black people out. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can look at somebody that founded the undefeated, that was basically a platform for black people, uh, ate a lot of bullets. Again, if you like understand what happened at ESPN, how they canceled Grantland, Bill Simmons's website, uh, because, and a lot of it was because the way he ran it, the culture and environment that he established, they canceled that, but kept the undefeated even after after my departure went on through with it. And it's because of the foundation was laid and the way that I handled it. If I wanted to sabotage the uh, undefeated, I could have fought tooth and nail with ESPN, engaged in a lawsuit and won because of the <laughs> some of the things that happened to me there. But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted the undefeated to exist and continue on. It was much bigger than me. And so uh, if you look at that and then me going to Fox Sports, and and building a talk show, which was at the time and still is, even after my departure, the blackest sports talk show on mainstream TV. Me, Marcellus Wiley, LeVar Arrington, TJ Husmanzada, Uncle Jimmy, Darnell Smith. We created a show uh, that was, in my view, black excellence. No one else was doing that. The formula for everybody else in, in sports talk television was, oh, let's put a black guy and a white guy and have them debate each other, blah, blah, blah. It's like we as black people could never have our own discussion. Facts are facts. I created that. And so anybody that looks at the facts and what I've done and am doing right now, uh, you know, my actions kind of speak. Do people agree? I can't even say they even disagree, but do people pretend to disagree with the statements I make or think, oh man, he shouldn't say that publicly. That's something he should be, that should be said privately. I just mm -hmm. don't believe in that. I don't believe that uh, uh, that you keep conversations private or, or there's conversations black people shouldn't have out in public because somehow it's damaging to us. 
I think that's how you get into a situation of denial of your problems when you're afraid to speak about them publicly. And and just quite frankly, boys, black people, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with black people. Nothing. There is a problem with the culture we have embraced and the culture that we have allowed to define us and the culture that we've allowed to influence us. And what you'll see me writing and talking about a lot is, hey, man, this culture that we've got, this hip hop culture, uh, some of the characteristics that we've taken on or attributes we've taken on that we think uh, are an expression of the culture are actually very negative negative for us and keep us from uh, reaching the kind of success uh, that we should be having based off of our God-given gifts and talents. And and then the last thing, boys, I think people are, are critical uh, because I tend to direct virtually all of my conversation at Black people because I'm Black. I'm concerned about Black people. I really don't think white people are in control of our destiny. And so I direct most of my conversation at black people because that's who I'm most interested in. And so it would be the equivalent of if you're a parent, do you spend most of your time talking about your neighbors or do you talk about the people in your family? And do you say, oh, my God, let me go over here and correct the neighbor's kids so my kids will act better. Or do you (laughs) or do you talk about my kids and damn what the neighbor's kids are doing? My kids is going to be all right. So I I think that there's a lot of money to be made in going on TV and talking about white people and arguing that the destiny of black people is in control of white people. There's a lot of people making a lot of money doing that. I just don't have an interest in that. I, I have an interest in talking to us about issues central to us. And everywhere I've gone and had a little bit of power say so about how we do that and who gets to work with me. Uh, I keep choosing to surround myself with black people because I think there's a conversation we need to be having leading about ourselves. Hmm. Everybody, if you just came in, I'm talking to Jason Whitlock. Jason is a uh, he's a a very experienced journalist. Uh, He's a commentator. Uh, he's a black man that has some uh, pretty strong opinions on a lot of different issues, and we're going to cover all that. And uh, everybody, if you could, please hit the thumbs up button, hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button right now. And don't forget on this platform, you guys know we live on the B1 philosophy. B1 means we're black first. That means that we put our community at the top of our priority list. We solve our own problems. We educate our own kids. We also believe we must be one to be successful. And uh, everybody put your B1 in the chat, hashtag B and the number one in the chat if you agree with that philosophy. Now, why do I lay that out there for you today in particular? I want to be real clear on this. Uh, and I'll say this and then I'll, I'll, let, I'll let my brother Jason speak. Uh, it, to me, the B1 philosophy, black first, means that when you're talking about really solving problems for black people, you got to lay all the ideas and all the thoughts on the table. And when I measure whether or not I can uh, communicate with another person, uh, I ask myself some basic questions. I say, okay, number one, is this person looking to build or are they looking to destroy, right? There's some people who just do things that are ultimately destructive. They want to create division. They want to create chaos. Like you can't work with a person like that. Uh, Secondly, 
I say, okay, they think differently from me. Let's say I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican. Let's say I'm a, I'm a conservative or you're a liberal. Uh, we have people that put the black community at the top of their priority list on all sides of the spectrum. And I'm going to go ahead and jump out and, and dare to say that you don't come off to me, Jason, like a like a liberal. Uh, you seem like a guy who has some uh, some values that are old school. Uh, you have some thoughts uh, that, you know, that that shock some people. Uh, you're not afraid to share those thoughts. And I will just say this, you know, to everybody, anybody in the chat who wonders why Jason and I are talking today. I think some of your thoughts actually are worth hearing. Right. And I want everybody to remember that you don't got to agree with everything, but you got to at least admit that the ideas are worth hearing. And let me just start with one. You had a conversation the other day. You were talking about something. You and I both follow track and field. Uh, I'm a big track and field fan. Uh, actually, the guy who was on my high school track team t- 20 years after me uh, by the name of Ronnie Baker was on the uh, four by 100 meter relay team. And I, I'm I'm beaming with pride. You know, I'm expecting the U.S. men to do what we are supposed to do in every Olympics to just dominate. I'm expecting us to dominate in basketball. Then I see two losses in basketball. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Then I'm expecting us to dominate in track and field. Uh, I think we got a silver medal in track and field. Trayvon Bramell doesn't make the final. Ronnie Baker gets smoked. No, no disrespect to him, though. I, I can't run that fast, So, but that's what it was. Uh, the 200 meters, same thing. But I, I don't know if uh, – I, I can't remember if a brother from the United States medaled in the 200. I can't remember. No, Noah Lyles did. Noah Lyles. Shout out to Noah Lyles. But we didn't win the gold in that. 400 meters. We didn't win the gold in the 400 meters. Then I saw the relay. The goddamn relay. <laughs> so, so the United States men for the first time ever literally did they didn't lose, they did not make the final, not because they dropped the baton. They missed the final because they got outran by everybody else. I couldn't believe it. Now you had an interesting theory on that, and you wrote about that today. Can you kind of speak to that in, uh, in terms of what your thoughts are? Well, listen, boys, I think it's been Maurice Green in 2000 anchored our gold medal 4x100 relay team to the gold medal. That's the last time we've won it, 2000. And uh, we haven't medaled since 2004. We finished second in 2004. We haven't medaled since then. And it's been because of bad baton exchanges, a lack of cohesion, one year, I think Tyson Gay got disqualified. We finished second. Tyson Gay got disqualified for doping or whatever. But the Washington Post yesterday, hours, maybe 12 hours before the 4 by 100 qualifying heat, wrote a very extensive piece titled Metal or Nothing. And it, uh, U.S. sprinters have a handoff problem. And it was a long piece about what's been going wrong for our 4 by 100 relay team over the years. We can't do the exchanges properly. So they basically predicted what happened to us yesterday. And I think it was Ronnie Baker and Fred Curley on the second exchange. It took three attempts. They had to slow all the way down. They were side by side. It cost us any chance of qualifying. The Washington Post predicted this. And so basically they predicted the dysfunction of our 4 by 100 relay team. 
And then I went back and started looking at all the history of the four by one. I think uh, up until uh, 2004, I think it had been run in the Olympics 20 times, the finals for the four by 100. And we had won 15 of those 20 times. And now we can't even meddle. That, that, that our lack of cohesion and lack of ability to pull off these baton passes. And, and then I went back and read where sprinters in previous years have been complaining about how arrogant our approach is, how lackadaisical our approach is. We had one of the sprinters say that the lack of patriotism, this was years ago, that the lack of patriotism was a problem with our, our relay team. And bottom line, it's we show up most years, except for a couple of Usain Bolt and Jamaica have been an aberration and a difference. But most years we show up with clearly the deepest group of sprinters in the world. Mm-hmm. And over the last 20 years, that group can't produce a gold medal in an event we used to dominate. What has changed? What mm-hmm. about us? And this culture, because again, these are all these are black athletes. Bottom line, <laughs> it is our event. It's been our showcase for black excellence for fifteen of the twenty years of the Olympics, going all the way back even before uh, Jesse Owens. Uh, and I say, what has changed is Amer- our culture, black American culture. We have a culture where black men struggle to work together cohesively period end of story it's a fact and uh it's no different than how you can predict on monday well there's going to be a story in the chicago tribune about black men shooting each other over the weekend and so we can write this story on thursday and it'll be good to go on monday all we got to do is plug in the numbers and literally, that's what the Washington Post just did to us in terms of track and field. There's going to be a problem with the baton exchanges. Here's what's been going on in history. And boom, it happened. Our dysfunction is becoming predictable and expected. And we have to acknowledge what there's not a damn thing wrong with black people. But what about what culture are we producing where there's this lack of accountability, uh, this belief that white people are really in control of our destiny? And if does this culture have something to do with the way we are treating each other? If we don't see ourselves as valuable and in control of our own destiny, how can we ever live up to our highest expectations? There's nobody that will deny when it comes to sprinting, we have the most talent. Uh, we certainly have more than China, who dusted us in this qualifying heat. They won the qualifying heat. There's maybe one guy on China's team that could even potentially be on our relay team. But they can work together and pass the baton in a cohesive enough. They smoked us. That's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's a statement about us and Mm -hmm. what's going on with us as black that we can't even work together for 38 seconds to get around a track and take home the gold medal or silver medal or even Mm -hmm. bronze medal. It's a symptom of a larger problem. 
that we need to be discussing in terms of, hey, man, instead of having meetings with white people and how let's go talk to white people about how they can treat us better. Why don't we have a discussion among black men about, hey, man, how can we work together better? Mm. Uh, everybody, I'm speaking with Jason Whitlock and uh, he his uh, podcast, by the way, is called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It's on Blaze TV and it's on any platform that has podcasts. So make sure you go check that out. Everybody, please hit the uh, thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. And uh, let's let's dig deeper into this. I want to ask, um, you know, you're talking about the culture. And I, and I agree when, when it comes to the Olympics, um, I see the I see similar cultures across the relay teams and the basketball team. Now, we know Team USA is in the gold medal game. So we and we hope that they win. But I never really thought, I mean, if you go back to the days when when Jordan and Bird and all those guys just dominated, you never thought you'd get to the point where you don't even know if they're going to win the game or not. You know, when, when, you're, when you're on the edge of your seat, you know, because they clearly haven't hit the same mark they used to hit. And it almost seems to me, and actually I want to ask this before we move to the next, the next topic I want to ask you about, is uh, it, it seems to me that uh, that word culture is uh, is relevant because there's something about it where I, I sense a type of arrogance uh, complacency, uh, maybe even a little bit of narcissism that can undermine the ability of, of, of men to come together and work together to achieve a common goal. Because I know I see it. I see it all the time. I, I've seen you and I had com- many conversations when, when um, you know, when that thing was going on with Kwame Brown. Uh, you know, people think I'm afraid to say his name. I'm not scared to say the dude's name. I just don't think it's relevant anymore in my world because I thought there was something we could build on and it just seemed like it's like, oh, there's another black man. I'm going to beef with him. And beefing with you is the only way for me to show that I'm the man, Uncle Bunga. You know, and, and there's a maturity, in my view, that comes into play when you say, how about instead of either me being the man or you being the man, how about we both be the men? Right. And, and actually, I want you to answer that question. You can bring, talk about anything you want. But, I'm, but speaking of the culture, I want to show you an image that I pulled up and I want everybody to take a look at this image. Now give me a yes or no in the chat. If you're familiar with what's going on with the rapper, the baby, uh, Jason, have you been following this thing with the baby? Of course. And- yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, sh- so let's talk about culture y'all seriously. I, and I'm talking to everybody who agrees or disagrees, uh, intelligent black people only those who don't, who can't get it. Just step aside. This is not a conversation. This conversation is above your pay grade, but let's talk about the damn culture. Let's talk about the motherfucking culture right quick. So here's the image of the baby. Now this is a grown ass man, and the baby is wearing a diaper. Uh, here's another image of the baby wearing a diaper. Grown black man. I don't know if he's 30, 31. I gotta look up. I gotta look him up on Wikipedia. But here he is wearing a diaper. These are diaper pictures, and this is a grown man. And I, and I remember seeing other uh, images of other you know rappers like the Migos. I saw them doing a um, a Sprite commercial, and they were riding tricycles. Again, grown men wearing tricycles, riding tricycles. And so, so, so the reason I bring that up is because when you talk about the culture, it, there's almost something there where uh, the the effort to evolve us in terms of thinking, you know, to, to rise where we can operate on a higher vibrational frequency uh, that involves strategy, maturity, discipline, humility, that that's just not, that that's not being pushed. What's being pushed is, you know, we want the black man to be a baby. That's why all these rappers, Lil This, I'm I'm Lil, Lil, Lil Nazi, Lil, Lil This, Lil That. In fact, there's a rapper literally called Lil Baby. <laughs> he's very popular, right? He's much more popular than you and I'll ever be. We're trying to be grown-ass men, but they up here looking up to little babies. I don't want to be a part of any of that culture. That's not my culture. 
So give me your thoughts on that. It, it, let's go back to that word culture. Talk more about that. I'd like to hear more of your thoughts. Well, there's a couple of things I, I, I want to address and not to be argumentative, but you, you said a lot, uh, boys. And so I, I want to try to address everything you said. And, and one of the things we have, what, what pride is at the heart of our culture. And pride is a deadly sin. And it's the root, most biblical scholars believe, of most sins is pride. And so going back to something you said that I somewhat disagree with or want to understand on a deeper level from you because I have so much respect for you, is you said something about in this conversation, this conversation is only for smart people. I don't want to be bothered with those people. And again, I, those may not have been your exact words, but, but I've heard you say similar things. Mm -hmm. And I want to know why you do that, because I think that can be off-putting to some people. And I say that I have a belief in myself that I'm a smart person. Uh, but I try to remain very patient. And I want the things that I'm saying, I truly want everybody to have access to. I want everybody involved in the conversation. And so even if you didn't graduate from high school, and even if you have four baby mamas and 10 kids, and you've made a bunch of dumb decisions in your life, I still have hope for you. I still want to engage with you. I still want you to be part of the conversation. I want my conversation, hopefully, to help you elevate beyond where you're at right now or the mistakes you made in the past. I think when some people hear you say, uh, you know, this conversation is only for smart people, they think you're being arrogant and off-putting. And because and, 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 and I'm bringing all this up, boys, because, and you know from our conversations behind the scenes, I've wanted you and Kwame to come together because I'm totally in agreement with you. Even if you and Kwame don't agree on everything, hey, let's as black men support each other. I, I don't, and I've, I've said to Kwame straight up, hey man, I, I think boys is actually is on your team. I don't, I don't, let's don't attack boys. Let's, you know, let's all play together. Let's try to understand each other because boys' intentions are good. His strategy may be different from yours. But you're not going to convince me his, his intentions are bad. And, and so anyway, I've just said a mouthful. I'll get back to, you know, fully to your culture thing. But I truly do want to understand because, help, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe my I want to understand your my conversations for smart people or intelligent people and not for everyone else. Let me say this. <clears throat> um uh, I, I your, your point is completely heard and, and completely understood. And I can understand how uh, it could be seen in a certain way. Right. Um, and when I talk about intelligent black people, I'm not really referring to uh, whether you went to school or not. We got a lot of educated fools out here. You and I both know that we got people with PhDs uh, that that have a lot of uh, very bad opinions. Uh, when I say uh, when I talk about intelligent people, what I'm saying is. Uh, a willingness to learn, a willingness to try to understand another point of view. 
the one thing that really uh, has always frustrated me, and I'm definitely the first to admit I'm not perfect with this, is I get very frustrated when people don't understand something, but they talk as if they know everything. And they speak as if your point of view can't even be heard. And uh, they end up disrupting our desire to elevate and to think more critically as a community. When you come into my spot with all that nigga shit, you know, when, I mean, I'm talking about when I'm talking about nigga shit, I'm not talking about, you know, being from the hood. I'm not talking about education level. I'm not talking about income level. I'm talking about that destructive bullshit. You come up in this space just doing what the white man been training you to do for 400 years. And, and, and you're determined to do that and to the, at the expense of those of us who are tired of it. That just tells me that you ain't ready yet, that this is not this is not a place for you to be. You, you should go somewhere else. It doesn't mean I can't work with you. You know, I have plenty of people that <laughs> that grew up in all kinds of you know crazy situations that that can that can hear what we're saying. And they don't have to agree with everything either. This, this ain't you know, I'm not a demagogue. This ain't a cult. Right. But it's really just to say, come on, man. Why, why don't we figure this out so we can actually find solutions and do better? Why are you coming in here and being disruptive and swearing that you know things that you really don't know? Like, so, for example, if you are a Democrat and you can't hear any good ideas that come from a Republican, that tells me that you're not a thinker because you think all the good ideas are on the left side of the fence, vice versa for Republicans. Uh, I believe that you should listen to everyone and learn from everybody. So I can sit down with whether it's Kwame or anybody. I can sit down and, and genuinely listen to him, genuinely understand his perspective. I read his whole bio about how he grew up. I knew I, I know the brother's life very well. I studied him. I don't think he would have that same patience toward me. And again, I don't know. But all I know is that he's up here, you know, saying stuff about my wife. And I'm like, nigga, well, you ain't never met my wife. Why, why are you doing a whole video about a person you don't even know? That's ignorant to me. I don't I have no respect for that. Right. So I think at the end of the day, when I say intelligent black people, I'm talking about people that want to think. You know, don't come in here. The, the first step to tell me that you're not intelligent, in my view, is when you think you know everything. I'm a professor. I have a Ph.D. And I know I sure as hell don't know anything because the first thing I learned when I got educated was how little I actually know. So so that's what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about education, income and all that. I'm talking about your willingness to get us out of the mess that we are in as black people, because if we keep going, falling for the same nonsense. We're going to end up in the same place. That's that's what I believe. Go ahead, brother, please. I want to ask you one other question, and then I'm going to get to the culture thing, because this is also fascinating me. You, your use of B1, which I get, and to some degree support. The, the only thing for me, and this, this is kind of like I want to know you a little bit better. Are you a spiritual person? Are you a Christian? Because when, for me, I wake up every day, and it's a struggle, and I've certainly struggled with it, but I want to I want to represent God and Jesus and tr I struggle, I curse. Uh I lived a very debaucherous life for a long time. Uh and so I'm not perfect. But when I think of my first priority it's to God, not my skin color. Mm. Well, you know, I'm going to say this uh, I, I think we're on the same page on that, actually, because I don't believe that skin color is an automatic, uh, an automatic rallying point for every person that's black. Because I, we, most of the people in this chat, I hope you all can understand where I'm coming from. We've probably met many black people who will kill you before a Klansman would. You know, we we, we know we we have a lot of enemies, both foreign and domestic. So this idea, this false idea that we should line behind any 
stupid nonsense because the person's black or any ridiculous person or a ridiculous idea is is just silly, right? Um, and so I think that there's room within a B1 philosophy uh, for us to be whatever we want to be. Uh, that means Christian, Muslim, gay, straight, feminist, non-feminist, et cetera. The B1 philosophy is meant to basically say, look, we need to pour into our community first, pouring into those who want to build a better black community. And to me, a better black community centers around uh, economic power, which translates into uh, other forms of power, educational power, social power, political power, and making sure that our community and our children and our families are safe and protected and healthy. Right. And so so that requires us to focus a little bit. Right. And, and so it doesn't mean that I can't sit down with somebody who has a different ideology. I want to hear from everybody. I love talking to people that are different from me. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the reason you and I can have a conversation and you could say you could say 10 things in a conversation where I say, mm, I don't know if I, I feel the same way. But the reason that I can listen to you and have a great conversation with you is because I know that you're saying what you're saying because you want black people to do better. You know, so so uh, that that's what the B1 philosophy really means. It, 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 it allows us to leave an openness for anybody that wants to contribute while at the same time leaving certain issues at the door to say, what, what are we going to do to make our community better and make this world better for our kids? That's really what it all comes down to. So now that your culture question of culture and it gets to one of the and this is kind of a new wrinkle for what you've been doing, because you just recently got married. But the, the way you celebrate your wife online, and that's really a celebration of family, and that's where I think we have gone astray as Black people, is our, our culture isn't defined by family uh, anymore, and that's where I think we've gone astray. And we have a culture now that's and and to be honest with you, voice, and this is where I think where the real racism is, uh, the culture is a, has been assigned to us, not by us, but by the power structure and the puppet masters globally here in America, uh, primarily white liberals. They have assigned a culture to us that is immoral, criminal, uh, anti-nuclear family. Uh, I think it's hostile to heterosexuals. I think it's hostile to Christian beliefs. Uh, and so it's a celebration of debauchery, debauchery degeneracy, and all, anything that can kill a black person, that's the culture that has been assigned to us and that I object to. And I get why so many people because I, I think in a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with anybody that criticizes me, they would be in total agreement with me about like, man, yeah, it's a terrible culture, you know, Bob, you know, it's terrible that, you know, we as black people have allowed them to define us this way. And we've hopped on board uh, is with it is absolutely crazy and lunacy, but I get why people have done it because, they're looking at everybody else and it's like, well, everybody else is jumping off this building. Must be something good at the bottom of this building. Let me get down there as quick as everybody else. And, and I totally get, I, I'm not trying to even be funny or sarcastic. That's what's happening. They said Snoop Dogg, he's smarter than boys. 
He's <laughs> smarter than Ben Carson. Snoop Dogg. He, he's the end all be all. And everybody's kind of going, yeah, yeah, you're right. Jay-Z and all the guys. And, and I try to tell people, and certainly you understand this economically, the person with the most money a lot of times in American culture, almost any culture, is the person willing to cut the most corners. Yeah. Uh, and, and because being successful is really hard and takes a lot of patience and takes a lot of resolve and, and, and being successful without cutting corners is even is is so much harder. Uh, but yeah, that's the culture I object to, the one that's been assigned to us. Uh, a lot of people don't have the energy, the time, don't want to put the to object to that cult, culture. They'd rather go along to get along, as Kwame loves to say. Uh, <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that, that it, it's just easier. And look, I, I'll say this. If, if I were married with kids, I might go along to get along because it takes a lot of energy that a lot of people just don't have. When you're sitting around worried about how I'm gonna get my kids through college, how am I going to uh, get my wife the car she wants, or how my wife, how, how, how are we gonna get the kids the things they need? You ain't got time to be fighting with people about an obscene culture that is, is killing. You just trying to survive on a day to day. And so you don't even have time to, well, this is what everybody's doing. Everybody thinks we should say the N-word in every song. Uh, you know, it's it's mm -hmm. just everybody just needs to adjust. That's the new reality. I, I'm just my life isn't structured that way. I'm not built that way. And so it puts me at odds with people. Mm. Everybody, I'm speaking with uh, Jason Whitlock, and he's the host of the podcast Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, if you're interested uh, in his ideas, you should definitely follow the podcast. It's a very good one. He takes on any topic. And uh, when I say any topic, I mean any topic. And everybody, if you could do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. Uh, we are we are growing Black Media here as well, and we're seeking to reach as many people as possible. And our goal is not to get you to agree with us. Our goal is to get you to think. And remember, I want everybody to understand that. Uh, do not just buy into an idea just because I said it or anybody else said it. I want you to practice being a critical thinker. I, I believe you can do that. Now, let me ask you a question, man. I want to ask you uh, a couple of things. Uh, you've had a, a kind of a, a, an ongoing, um, you, you said some things about Stephen A. Smith that really surprised me. Uh, and I saw publicly where you were talking, you, you, you were mentioning that Stephen A. Uh, was, it, it almost sounded like you were saying that he wasn't really a legitimate journalist. Uh, can I ask you about that? Uh, I, I thought you two were cool. Uh, what, what's going on with that? Well, uh, Stephen A. and I have a long history. And we're about, we're virtually the same age. Our careers in sports writing parallel each other. Uh, Stephen A. and I got crossways 10, 15 years ago when he, he two or three times, he dropped the N-word on the show, first take, when he and Skip Bayless were doing the show together. And about the third time he did it, I wrote a column criticizing Stephen A. and the show. Up until then, Stephen A. and I had been very friendly and supportive of each other. Uh, we were peers. When I criticized him for using the N-word on that show and called him out for, I, I thought a lot of the, 
the bullshit that they were doing or he was allowing Skip Bayless to do on that show. Uh, that was a bridge too far for Stephen A. And he quit speaking to me. This probably happened 15 years ago. Uh, when I went back to ESPN in 2013, uh, I reached out to Stephen A. Smith repeatedly. And we got a mutual friend. Isaiah Thomas is one of my best friends. He's close to Stephen A. I reached out to Stephen A. through Isaiah. I reached out to Stephen A. personally via email. Uh, said, hey, Stephen, man, you know, we used to be cool. Let's try to settle our beef. Want to reconnect, be friends. through Different venue. Stephen A. refused to do it. Uh, I, at that point, just had to, you know, I'm going to take the L. Stephen A is done with me. I pretty much have left Stephen A Smith alone. Uh, I went back at Stephen A in the past six months because of the Kwame Brown thing. He went back at Kwame Brown again after Kwame did his thing. And Stephen A went back and put together some eight minute video clowning Kwame Brown and doing this and doing that. And I was like, oh. That pissed me off because I am a supporter of Kwame Brown. Uh, I am someone that thinks Kwame is opening doors for all of us to reach a wider audience. And I had made it crystal clear, like, if you come at Kwame in a way that I think is unfair, I'm coming for you. And uh, I went after Stephen A. because of that. I felt like he took some unfair shots at Kwame Brown. I was like, okay, well, let's let's tell the whole truth here about Stephen A. Smith because he's talking about Kwame's basketball career and how it was terrible and blah, blah, blah. And, and bottom line, I'm like, hey, Stephen, I, I know the whole deal on you and the journalism writing career. I know editors. I know people you work with. I know how the white liberals have propped you up and uh, have corrected, rewritten, rehabilitated your writing, blah, blah, blah. And so if you want to call out Kwame for, you know, he couldn't catch a basketball or Michael Jordan did this or did that, you know, there's some dirt on your career as well. And what I think Stephen A. is, is a talented broadcaster. I think Stephen A's intentions are mostly good. Uh, I have respect for Stephen A. Smith and what, how hard he works, uh, how seriously he takes his job. Overall, I like Stephen A. Smith. I felt like I wanted to, you know, make him regret his attacks on Kwame Brown. And so that's why I said the things. But overall, Stephen A works really hard as a television broadcaster. He's maximized his situation at ESPN in a way that I respect. Uh, and a pre and, and, and I, I think he's inspired a lot of kids. Uh, you know, Stephen A, like a lot of famous people, uh, lacks some self-awareness and is, is full of himself. But you know, no worse than anybody else that sits in front of a camera for, for that long and makes the kind of money that he makes. Uh, so I hope I've 
clarify my position on Stephen there. Well, let, let me let me let me be a devil's advocate on that. Yeah, go right? please. So the same way you say that Stephen A. was propped up by the white liberals, uh, wouldn't people say the same thing about you and the conservatives? Right? I mean, your, no. your show's on Blaze TV, right? And uh, and I and I remember Clay from Outkick that you worked with. He was he wasn't nobody's liberal, right? He he seemed more on the right. And now, mind you, I, I I want everybody to be clear. I, I yeah. I'm not right or left. I like going. I jump back and forth because sometimes you hear something good on the right that makes sense. A lot of stuff on the left right now ain't making no sense to me, right? So so I I actually enjoyed the commentary. I don't get offended by it, but I can see someone making that same critique. And also, uh, when you know when we talk about his attacks on Kwame, uh, and Kwame it seems like Kwame agrees that he was a bust because his whole channel is called Bust Life. I mean, I guess he's, <laughs> he's celebrating. He's a fucking bust. I I don't know. I, I I think the brother's traumatized. I really do. I think that he he went through things he shouldn't have had to go through. And I think as a result, he's, he's, he's just kind of lashing out at the world. But, but, but uh, I, I've seen people also be upset with your, uh, your consistent attacks. Well, no, I'm calling it attacks because like, I want to sound like a negative thing, but you don't seem to like LeBron James, right? So wouldn't that kind of be the pot called the kettle black a little bit? What, what do you think about that? I think, I'm so glad you asked me these questions. And I think your questions, are very fair and appropriate. I, I want to try to go at them one by one in terms of me being propped up by conservatives. That That's not remotely true. Uh, and so what I was saying about Stephen A, as it relates to his content that he was producing at the Philadelphia Inquirer and for, I'm talking about written content and at the ESPN, things like that, I don't, he couldn't do it without white people rewriting his material. And uh, that's basically what I was saying. Without incredible editing work to get it up to a standard that's publishable, couldn't do it without white people. There's never been any, any, any aspect of my career since 19... 92. There was a learning curve I had to go through the first two years I was in the business at the Bloomington Herald Times and the Charlotte Observer. Anything you've seen written under my name since then, that's all me. Now, have there been editors involved and, uh, hey, Jason, you sure about this opinion and blah, 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 blah. But if you find anybody from 1994 on, if Jason Whitlock can stand on his own two feet, and we can push publish on 99.9% of the stuff he sends to us verbatim as he wrote it. And, and, and there'll be nobody that will say, oh, we gave Jason this opinion or we asked him to write this or we asked it completely independent. And that's one of the main reasons why, again, left, right, wherever I've written for the Huffington post. I've written for playboy magazine. I've written for the wall street journal, the New York times, ESPN, the Kansas City Star, Fox Sports, it all different political persuasions, all up and down the political. I, I, my work has been published everywhere. I'm beholden to no political ideology. And uh, one of the reasons why the left has a problem with me is because I demand that I stand on my own two feet and that I put out content that I believe in, not that we believe in, 
not that the left believes in or the right believes in. And so do I am I in a business partnership with the Blaze right now? Absolutely. I'm my own man. I say what the hell I want. Ain't nobody questioning uh, or suggesting, hey, don't do this, don't do that. I put out stuff that I believe in. It's impo- It's hard to do at ESPN. I've tried it twice. And for the first time I was there, had ultimate freedom. It was in a different environment, different time back then. That second time I was there, the left wanted con- to control me and what was published at the undefeated, and they did all kinds of tricks and maneuvers to undermine me and to be able to establish that thing totally independent. Mm. It's not the, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions or criticize the undefeated, but you ain't gonna find nothing unpredictable on the undefeated. Nothing. Well, well you know, um, that's very interesting you mentioned that. And I want everybody to know I'm speaking to Jason Whitlock. He's the host of Fearless with Jason Whitlock, which is on Blaze TV, but also on YouTube and anywhere podcasts are heard. And we're talking about all different kinds of issues. There's no particular topic. I just wanted to pick his brain on stuff. And everybody who's watching, do me a favor. Please hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. And also there's an audio version of this podcast at the drboysbreakdown.com. It's also on Spotify and some other places. So uh, feel free to listen while you're in your car, while you're on the move. Uh, so, Jason, you know, one of the things I want to ask you about, uh, kind of digging into that, the ESPN culture. I, 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 I've always suspected that there was a strong uh, leftist influence uh, with ESPN. I, I still remember. I remember Steve, Stephen A. I remember them putting him on the apology tour because I guess a, a white feminist got pissed off and violated company policy and went on Twitter and blasted him, which from what I read meant she should have been fired. But actually, instead of her getting fired, they actually punished Stephen A. And next thing you know, he was apologizing. And then I saw the other situation that was going on that was really interesting uh, with Maria Taylor and uh, and that that whole di- dispute with her. And um, uh, was it Rachel Nichols? Is that her yeah. name? Mm-hmm. Rachel. Where, Ra- Rachel Nichols, the white woman. Uh, and I'll put up some screenshots for everybody so you can to jog your memory on it as Jason describes his perspective. And, you know, while I didn't necessarily have uh, a horse in that race, uh, I do remember you had some strong opinions about that. You kind of felt that that was another example of of just, you know, the the, uh, the bad politics that kind of exists in America. Can you kind of speak on that in terms of what your uh, perception was? The Maria Taylor situation or Stephen A. Smith and Michelle uh, Beadle? Maria Taylor and just how it fits into the general theme of what it means to work at ESPN. Well, uh, ESPN is certainly a, a work environment and culture that's controlled by the left. It's controlled by uh, the LGBTQ and the BLM. I call them the alphabet mafia. Uh, They're in control of ESPN. The feminist movement in control of ESPN. And so, you know, as it relates to Stephen A. and Michelle Beadle, that was the white woman that, you're right, called out Stephen A. publicly, and she used the feminist movement within ESPN to get Stephen A in trouble. And and I, I was critical of her at the time of that. And then here recently with uh, Maria Taylor, who I think, and I've been crystal clear on this from the day she showed up at ESPN, an amazing talent. And, and I say this respectfully, Maria Taylor makes love to a television camera. I don't mean that in any kind of disrespectful way, but she just does. She glows on TV and she comes off as very joyful 
and and just like, oh man, I'd love to hang out with Maria Taylor. That's the way you want to broadcast her to hang out. And I start immediately, as soon as she shows up at ESPN, I start telling her that, like, oh my God, you can be the next Oprah Winfrey. You can be whatever you want to be. Probably wasn't me trying to hit on her. It was just me like impressed with her talent and and what all she brought to the table. The thing I wonder about <laughs> don't go down that militant route. Don't 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 try to be Jamel Hill. She's gone down that militant Jamel Hill route. And so Rachel Nichols, the, the white woman pitcher there, uh, they give Maria Taylor a job that Rachel Nichols had been promised it would be hers, the NBA countdown. They do it to because of George Floyd getting killed and white liberals trying to pander to black people. Look how diverse we are. Look how we love black people. We didn't kill George Floyd. We gave Maria Taylor the countdown job. And so Rachel Nichols does what any other human being would do in that situation. She'd been promised a job. They gave it to somebody else. She got on the phone with a friend of hers and bitched about it. That's what human beings do. To me, Maria Taylor, she she was offered $5 million by ESPN. She turned it down because she wanted the same money as Stephen A. Smith. And Stephen A. makes $8 to $12 million a year. And... This to me, and 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 I don't mean to offend anybody in your audience. Certainly don't want to offend your wife, boys. But some of these black women are just out of control, and they look at a Stephen A. Smith, who's been there for two decades, busting his ass, is on a bunch of different TV shows, and is a real brand with a real following. And here comes Maria Taylor. Says, "I should get what Stephen A. Smith should get." Well, you ain't doing what Stephen A. Smith is doing. You don't have the following that Stephen A. Smith. So, and, and she realizes all that. So she plays the race card in a leverage move on Rachel Nichols, basically stomps on Rachel Nichols' head, trying to get her money. And it's unfair. It's unnecessary because all here this woman is, 34 years old, and they're trying to pay her $5 million a year. When Stephen A. Smith was 34 years old, ESPN wasn't paying him $5 million. They was If he was there, they were probably paying him 200000 And so yeah. when, he was, when he was 34. <laughs> and so here they are trying to pay this one, and she ain't satisfied. She got to cut all the way ahead of the line, and she got to be right there with Stephen A. Smith, just out of pocket, out of control. It's And so that's... That's just what it was. And so, and she's done let her anger and militancy and just trying to play the race card on Rachel Nichols and ESPN basically has talked herself up out of a dream job, talked herself up out of a cocoon that has supported her unbelievably. ESPN had fast tracked her entire career. She's over at NBC. No, maybe they're paying her four, five, six million dollars a year. But she's not going to be my experience in the workplace and this business is they're not going to treat her the same as ESPN had. Mm. She will regret this decision, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, she's left a very supportive cocoon where maybe five years from now, seven years from now, maybe she could have made Stephen A. Smith's money at ESPN talking sports. This is a former basketball and volleyball player at the division one level. 
This was a dream job. She was great with college football, very supported on the NBA show. Now she's over at NBA, NBC. They have no connection to basketball. None. They don't, their connection to, to college football is Notre Dame. And so she got the money, but I don't think she's going to get the exposure, the support. I don't think her runway is going to be as clear as it was over at ESPN. She's made a mistake. She's mishandled her situation. And, you know, on this one here, I'm like Kevin Samuels uh, scolding, you know, you want a high-value contract? You got to bring it better than that, Maria. <laughs> you know, but let me let me say this. Um, uh, it's okay, so this is an area where uh, we see things a little differently, I think. Um, I believe in, in free markets. I believe in free will. Right. And uh, and now to your point, it sounds to me like what you're 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 saying is that she's making a bad career move that, yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to get the money, but you're not going to be in a place that's going to support you the way ESPN would have. And so your career will pay a price. And I, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, we don't know the specifics of her contract. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, I would say is, you know, hey, if you have power. And we know that, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, we know feminism has power. We know that the woke the woke culture has a certain element of power to it. I don't knock her for leveraging that power. You know, I, I see people leveraging their power in any old kind of way whenever they want. Men, sometimes we have power. We leverage in, in a certain way. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, while, I, while I certainly hear all the points you're, you're making, because you know, you know ESPN far better than I do, and you know your your world better than me. You're you're, you're a journalist. I, I'm a guy who just runs his mouth, right? Um, but but I think that it's 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 a matter of kind of saying, you know, what does Maria Taylor want? You know, maybe she wants something completely different from what either one of us understand. Maybe she's trying to parlay this into an acting career or you know some other opportunity at ESPN. And I'm assuming if she negotiated intelligently, she would give herself financial security. And then also give herself opportunities to take advantage of what ES, what excuse me, what NBC has to offer, right? Because because you're right. In, 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 when it comes to basketball, ESPN is superior to NBC, but but there are a lot of areas where NBC is superior to ESPN. So I'd be curious to know that, right? Like so, so I think that to your point, I, I'd like to know what made you make that choice because on the surface it doesn't make sense. And then also another point that you make that I think is interesting too is. Uh, when you get into this, the wokeness, this, 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 this whole politicization of basketball and, and everything else, I don't really like it. You know, I didn't really like, uh, I remember I had a conversation with some, uh, some guys I know that, that are kind of in that space. And I said, why all these um, NBA players running around with these Black Lives Matter shirts on, you know, do they understand what Black Lives Matter is all about? Do you, you do understand that they are anti-family, anti-black family and, and after the crack epidemic, we've been spending 30 years trying to get our families back. And the guy just basically said, well, they just do it because that's what their bosses tell them to do. And I said, wait a minute. So hold away. So, so you're telling me that these grown ass men that are making $30 million a year are still bowing to a boss. Like, like, like they work at the, at the post office or some shit. <laughs> I said, that's your problem right there. You know, th- this movement is not coming out of the black community. Uh, it, it hasn't benefited the black community as far as I can see, at least that, that, Hundred, several hundred million dollars that were given. I didn't see that money landing in black communities. I saw black people led astray by the whole ideology. Not to say that they didn't do some, a couple of good things, but uh, but it, it was to me it was a waste of time. Uh, what do you think is missing in terms of of just um, black people kind of understanding where we need to go to next? That we have to stop allowing 
everybody's pre-existing ideologies to sort of shape how we view ourselves and how we view each other. And and also I want to lay in a, a sentence from Dr. Claude Anderson's book, which we were all reading last night called Black Labor, White Wealth. One thing Dr. Anderson said, and uh, you can feel free to comment on that, is he said that black people are trained to see themselves through the lens of whiteness, you know, through the eyes of whites. Like the, the way I define myself as a black person is shaped by how white people view me. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, a thousand percent accurate. That one of the biggest mistakes we're making as black people is we think that anything that irritates some hypothetical racist white man is good for us. And so, again, we're not thinking about, hey, what's best for us? We're thinking, hey, how can we irritate this group of white people? That's good for us. And and so much of our actions are based on, well, I wonder how white people are going to think about it. And that's where a lot of foolish pride comes in. I got to make this stand to show white people this and that. And it's a mistake. As it relates to the first part of your question, boys, what's really going on, I just had this discussion today on my show. What's haunting us is poor leadership and undefined roles. And, and, you know, this is where I get accused of being a chauvinist. I'm certainly a patriarch, uh, but leadership should start with the man. And then you have to define roles within your family structure, within your community structure, blah, blah, blah. And we don't have leadership or roles. We don't have leadership coming from men. Our leadership right now is coming from women. And everybody's in roles that don't benefit us. And so as long as the black man is weak and as long as the black man is looking for the black woman to lead him and us out of the chaos and dysfunction we find ourselves in, we're going to fail. That's not a shot at women. Uh, but again, from my biblical understanding of the world and just go look at other societies uh, other than uh, the, the movie Black Panther and the TV show Game of Thrones, where they have all these fantasy worlds where women are the dynamic leaders of these cultures and societies. Uh, they can't show it to me in real life. And mm-hmm. so, uh, again, if you go look at the Black Panther movie, I just I explained this to somebody last week. It's like, hey, man, the Black Panther movie was basically T'Challa being told what to do by a gang of black women. Go watch the movie. Every time mm-hmm. this boy is turning around, this man's turning around, some black woman's telling him what to do. And the black women are his super warrior, superheroes, all of this stuff. Then you go watch <laughs> Game of Thrones. If you white and you watch Game of Thrones, they got the little blonde white woman, Khaleesi or whatever. She's going to save the world. They can, TVs and movie theaters can make you believe a lot of shit that just doesn't have any connection to reality. That's not me taking a dump on, on women. But the facts are, uh, these great societies have been built by men and by a lot of the really courageous and or stupid stuff men have been willing to do. Hmm. Well, you know, one thing I'll say is uh, <clears throat> an area where we agree on on that. And I, I thought about that a lot in terms of how do you figure out what the role of the man is supposed to be and the role of, the role of women is um, 
I learned a lot. Uh, and by the way, Jason, I, I know you, you're a busy man. So I, I'm going to make this comment and then ask you another question and then let you kind of have the last word. But I was watching, um, I watch a lot of documentaries about war because war fascinates me because it shows me how evil men can be to other men when you have no power, right? That the world don't give a damn about you. They'll come in and take all your shit, take your woman, take your kids, <laughs> destroy everything you ever, you know, it, it just really helped me understand the world we're dealing with, you know? And, uh, and I remember watching um, uh, where they were talking about the battle of Stalingrad between the Russians and the Germans and how uh, the Germans were deeply offended by the fact that when they went into Russia, they saw women picking up guns. You know, they saw the Russian women. They said, these are not womanly women. They, they, they got the hairs on their chin. They ready to bust a cap in your ass. And, and they said, back in Germany, our women are in the kitchen. They're doing this, this and this. Right. And what that really said to me was, it seems to me that um, you have different ideologies on on how men and women uh, can operate together. And I don't know if there's any one ideology that's always 100 percent correct. There are some areas where I don't think it's ever going to work. Like, so, for example, in our household, I knew that if I'm marrying an educated black woman who grew up in a household uh, with a single mother, that there was going to be some energies coming into the house that maybe as a masculine male are going to be a challenge for me. Right. And uh, my wife and I have talked about that extensively. Like, I'm like, look, I don't want another I don't want to live with another dude. So don't be coming in here <laughs> like, bucking up on me. That's not going to work. You know, uh, and and uh, because then I'm not going to see you as a nurturer. I'm going to see you as a competitor and I'm going to react to you different. Right. And uh, and so so what I've seen in some households is scenarios where the strength of the black woman, because Lord knows a black woman has gone through hell. Uh, a lot of black women are in situations that they didn't design. Right. You and I both know we, we you know, situations where father, daddy ain't there. So you figuring it out. Right. And uh, and so uh, I think that that the strength of the black woman can be utilized in a way that is beneficial to the family. But there has to be an understanding. There has to be. And I think it's case by case, really. Uh, you know, some scenarios, uh, the man is kind of doing uh, certain things in a certain way, no matter what. Some scenarios, there might be a sharing of power. And I believe it can work as long as there's an understanding. Dr. Nicole Price uh, came on here the other day. She's a, um, a leadership expert and uh, she works. She basically teaches groups how to work together and stop fighting so you can figure out how to move forward. And that's applicable to the black family, because think about how much money gets lost because black people can't simply come together. Like I'll use a real life example right now in, in my own life. Imagine how great uh, if Kwame Brown and I had got on the phone and became friends. Think about the great things we could have done as allies. Right. Instead of whatever, whatever that shit was. I don't even want to talk about it. Right. So so I'm always thinking instead of the competition, how do we find that collaboration? Dr. Price is an expert on that. And let me and let me get to my point on this. She said that in order for a group to work together, whether you're talking about a, a corporation, a basketball team uh, or a family, you have to have three things. You have to have an agreement on common goals. Like, what is the goal? What are we trying to do here? Right. So if my goals are different from yours. That's going to be a problem. Two, there must be an agreement on the roles. What role am I going to play and what role are you going to play? Right. So uh, if I get in the car, my woman, and I think the man's always supposed to drive. And she says, well, I can drive, too. As, it, it's OK to work it out either way, as long as we know what's going to happen, because we both put our hands on the steering wheel. The car is going to crash. Right. And then the third uh, thing she said you must agree on. I want everybody to pay attention. I take notes on this. You, you can probably apply this to your own family is uh, the process. Like, how are we going to get there? How are we going to achieve the goal? Which we, we, So we, we both know that we're going to get in the car. We're going to the grocery store, right? Because if I think we're going to the grocery store and you think we're going to the club, that's going to be a problem, right? Two, we understand who's going to be driving. You're going to drive, not me. 
Okay, cool. Then what route are we going to take? Okay, we're going to go down First Street and turn on Second Street, whatever, right? And uh, and, and and so that made me think about uh, a lot of what you're saying in terms of figuring out what the roles are going to be. Uh, I, I think that there's room uh, to to expand our thinking on on what the roles are supposed to be. But I also agree to your point that uh, right now, I think the bigger problem is not so much that the roles are changed. It's just that everybody's confused. You know, I, the men don't know what to do. You know, it's it, it, like, well, wait a minute. One minute you're telling me that, that I'm offending you. The next minute you say I'm not protecting you. And wait a minute, because you mean I asked you, I asked you on three dates and now you calling me, you're saying I'm damn near like a rapist. You know, with that craziness in the Me Too movement, that's confusing as hell for people. So I think that people just have to understand what, what page are we on? What do you think? I agree that there needs to be an understanding of goals, roles, and process. The, the only thing I'll say, and, and I'll go to my grave uh, believing this, that, look, men and women are different. We respond differently to a lot of different situations and energies. And I don't say this negatively, but women are more emotional than men. And, and so what I've been trying to explain uh, to the women in my life, family, friends, cousins, whoever, is like, hey, look, we're in a game of chess. Mm. And chess requires an absence of emotion. And that we have way too much emotional energy in all of our responses into what's going on in America. And that's because our leadership is coming from women and everything is about feelings, right? And again, I'm not, I don't want to be disrespectful of anybody's feelings, but you just can't run a successful life, community, anything based on feelings. Because again, right now we're making laws and rules and changing society because a man a child that comes out of the womb with a penis has decided, <laughs> I feel like a woman. <laughs> so let's, based on those feelings, let's change all the rules of society to accommodate this person's feelings. And it just doesn't work. We're in a game of chess as black people and just everybody in life. We have to tamp down the emotions and tamp tap into logic and just a cold logic. And so circling back to where this whole conversation began, Dr. Boyce, is I get that my approach frustrates, confuses, annoys a lot of people. And I think it's primary because I've, I've removed all emotion and feelings from the things that I suggest. I'm just about the bottom line facts. And so you want to you want to make white people mad or you want to express something to white people and blah, blah. I really don't. I just want to move forward. I just want to be more successful so I can do more for my family and the people that I care about and that I can create. Because this is my, my father. I say it because I, I, I'm a lot like my father, but I'm not. My father was racist bottom line. He had a lot of stuff happen to him growing up. He just didn't like white people. 
His solution was, oh, I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to build it in the black community. And my friends are going to be black. My customers are going to be black. I'm going to build a house in this neighborhood where my business is. And I'm going to create my own little black world. And I can remember long years ago, I think it used to be called Boyce's Black World or whatever. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's how, yeah, that's how my father thought, just like Boyce. He's going to build him a little black world. And he was happy. He wouldn't play golf with his friends. He chased, you know, again, my father was a player. That, that was actually a bad thing. But, you know, he didn't have no problem chasing women, black women, blah, blah, blah. He built a world that made him happy right here in America. He wasn't running around just bitter. Uh, he, you know, trust me, he didn't like white, but he never disrespected any white people. He just didn't like them, and he built his own little world, his own little happiness. He was Booker T. Washington. You know, he cast mm -hmm. down his bucket, made his life, and that was that. Is your father still alive? No, he passed what? at uh, 76. Uh, what was your father's name? Jimmy Whitlock. James Whitlock. Everybody called him Jimmy. Pretty everybody, everybody type Jimmy in the chat. Everybody put yeah. the word Jimmy in the chat so we can bring Jimmy in the building so he can hear his yeah. son. Because you speaking facts, man. I I like I like I, you know I like Daddy Jimmy. I, I like that approach. You know I I will say I don't dislike white people. I just don't want anybody telling me what to do. And that and and, and so you know I I dislike. There's some black people I dislike as much as as evil white people. You know people that are oppressive. Uh, never have any space in this house, and 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 and, and in my space, this is my territory, you know. And and I think that uh, one of the things you said that that I I think we can definitely agree on is whether no matter what we talk about in terms of the roles and things like that. And I agree with you about women be more emotional than men. And there's a style. There are things that women are good at, and things that men are good at. And we have to understand there's a difference between the two. I do know for a fact that we can never build a strong community if our men remain weak. If our men are weak and feminized and run around like this rapper wearing diapers and whatever, trying to be babies and little this and little that, you can't win because you're right. It's a, it's a game of war. It's a game of power. It's a game of strategy. And you have to have those elements. And, and you can't have that when, when everything's emotion. And I want to ask you a question. Uh, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this. And feel free to address anything I just said there as well. But this will be the last thing I ask you, man. I could, I could talk to you all day. I don't know how y'all feel in the chat. But uh, but I I love I love talking to the brother because actually I like I like the fact that you're able to take the emotion out and just kind of get back to the issue. Like for example, the way you said that you could resolve the beef with Stephen A and move forward, but it's emotion that's keeping that from happening. And there's always a loss when that when that occurs. When two black men never figure out how to sit down and resolve their differences and get on the same page, there's always a loss because you know I'm sure there's great things you and Stephen A could have done together. Just like there's great things me and Kwame could have done together or me and Roland Martin. Roland Martin's hated me since 2011. It's like, come on, man. You know, stop. Get out. Get out your damn feelings. You know, take your panties off and, and grow up, man. Like, like, seriously, that was 2011. Let's figure out how we can find common ground. With that said, I want to ask you about this. Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. Um, there was some controversy around that where both of them, it seemed, just kind of decided that they just don't want to do it anymore. They just walked, you know, Naomi walked away from a big tennis tournament and, and did do so great in the Olympics. Uh, Simone kind of had her issues in uh, Tokyo. There were mixed opinions on that. And I'd be curious to know what your thoughts were on, on not just what happened, but also the public's reaction to what happened. Well, uh, I'm mostly going to deal with Simone Biles because that's the one I know the best. 
uh, and that's the one I had the strongest opinions on. Uh, look, Simone Biles quit, and uh, everybody, every athlete I know, years ago when I was an athlete, there's a lot of stress in sports, and a lot of times your headspace isn't right, and you soldier on, and you do it for the benefit of your teammates and to to yourself. Uh, how having said that, I do acknowledge. There's a different level of stress on these athletes today because of social media. And I believe that Simone Biles had it made up in her mind, whew, in 2020, this is all over for me. These corporate purse strings that I got attached to me and all this pressure, it's all going to be over in 2020. Because if you remember, the Olympics were supposed to happen in 2020. COVID happened. And now she's got to go an extra 8, 10 months, 11 months into 2021. And mentally, she just wasn't ready for that. Because, again, it's, it's like if you ever quit a job in your mind, you're, I just got to make it through July and then I'm out of here. I think there's so much corporate pressure on these young athletes. There's so much social media pressure and they, they live in a little athletic bubble where they're training all the time, but now we're asking them to have all these big societal opinion, uh, opinions and have positions on things that Simone Biles spends most of her life from, I don't probably age nine to age 24 in a gym with a bunch of little white girls from, you know, nuclear practice and tumbling and all this other stuff. But now we want her to be an authority on mental health and race and all this other stuff. And she's doing it because there's pressure from her sponsors. And this is what everybody's doing over social media. And so I just think she did not want to be at the Olympics in 2021. She, and, and I halfway don't blame her because a lot of us have had things snatched away from us that we were planning to do in 2020 that we had to put on hold and the timing's not right. And and there's and so I think part of her just was mentally worn out. And she's had she's made some comment after she did the beam. She said, I, I did this for myself. And and I think that was her basically saying, man, ever since I won this Olympic gold medal in 2016. I've had people pulling at me to do this, 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 and this. And man, I can't wait for this to be over with in July of 2020 or whatever, August of 2020. And here it is, August of 21, and I'm still dealing with it. And she cracked. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mm -hmm. my take. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting to see the conversations about mental health and uh, things like that. And I, I agree with that part, that we have to take our mental health more seriously. Uh, but, you know, it, it was interesting to see. Uh, I, I admit, I, I, if I were her father, I probably would have told her, look, let's work on your mental health. Let's make a decision before we get on the big stage. Right. And I think that was the one, the part where I was kind of like, uh, it's kind of, you know, one of those things where you, you make a commitment and then you get out in the middle of it. You know, like if I say, hey, you know, like when people invite me to come speak and if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. But but it would be different if I said, yeah, I'll come speak. And then, you know, you pay me the $10,000 and I show up and I get on stage and I start talking. And then I say, 
I don't think I want to do this now. (laughs) Boy, I'm going to give you an example. When I give my word, there's pressure on me to live up to my word. I'm going to give you an example. I was supposed to do your show yesterday. I had to hunt you down to remind you, hey, man, (laughs) I'm supposed to do your show. I gave you my word. I wrote an email saying X, Y, and Z. And, and it was like, oh, we screwed that up. I was like, well, I'll do it tomorrow because I'm, I don't want anybody. I don't want boys walkers. I don't want your wife. Anybody that works for you said, man, Jason Whitlock didn't do what he said he was going to do. Mm. Mm. That's well, important. I think, that, I think that's a great note to, to finish on because uh, I want everybody listening that, that anybody that gives a damn what we're saying here, you don't have to agree with everything, but I hope you'll consider this. I, when I had a conversation with our 18-year-old on his way to college, one thing I did tell him was exactly what Jason said. Uh, as, as a man, and really as an adult, but especially for men, one of the uh, one of the characteristics of a solid man is a man who does what he says he's going to do. You, you, we can't be ha- we can't be celebrating these flimsy Negroes, these fly by nights, you know, making babies, ain't take care of their kids, told your daughter you're going to pick her up at two o'clock and left her on the curb, you know, stuff like that. And uh, that's one of the things that I've, I've seen occur in our feminized society, because guys who are flimsy like that typically didn't have a father telling them to straighten their back up. You know, uh, they, they had a mother who coddled them. And some of y'all know some of these flimsy Negroes who don't who can't be dependent on for nothing. And what that does is that embarrasses me as a black man, because I want every black person and black, especially the women that engage with me to know that I'm going to be solid. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If I say I'm going to come through, I'm going to give it everything I got. And I encourage all the real men out here to really take that in and consider that as a uh, as something we can aim for uh, in the man code. So I want to give a special thank you to our special guest, Mr. Jason Whitlock. His podcast, everybody, is called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. And it's good. Uh, your, your channel is growing. I noticed that you, you're, getting, you're getting a lot of a lot of great viewership. And, uh, and, and I think you deserve it, man. So I want to say thank you so much for coming in. Boys, thank you for introducing me to your audience. I hope they enjoyed it. Love to come back anytime. All right. All right. All right, everybody. Well, uh, please have a great day. And uh, I hope you'll give a digital thank you to our guest, Mr. Jason Whitlock. Some of y'all may want to give him the middle finger, but if that's okay too, <laughs> that's all right. That's this is what this is what healthy debate and healthy dialogue look like. This is what free thinking looks like. I know some of y'all ain't used to that. You're used to people preaching to the choir, but uh, we're here to actually grow. And the only way you will grow is to hear ideas that are different from your own. So I encourage you to take this in, share this video with anybody who can appreciate it. And God bless you guys. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please hit the thumbs up button on your way out, and I'll see you all very very soon. And also, don't forget that the All Black National Convention is going to happen at the end of October, and it's going to be in Orlando. Uh, We just now uh, signed the deal with the hotel, the Hotel Omni. It's a great hotel. It's going to have a lot of great stuff for your family. We're going to have a lot of stuff there. Uh, It's going to, uh, so mark your calendar for the end of October, the last weekend of October, Friday through Monday, uh, October 29th through November 1st. We're going to have uh, not just breakout sessions on anything related to economics that you want to learn, whether it's real estate, crypto, stock market investing, et cetera. We'll also have uh, uh, things like speed dating in case you are B1 and you're looking for people in the B1 community that you might want to get to know a little bit better, uh, looking for quality men men and quality women who love the community and want to be intelligent. Uh, We also have speed networking for those of you that ain't looking for a hookup romantically, but maybe you're looking for people you can do business with, people you can build with, groups you can join, things like that. Uh, In addition to that, we're going to have a lot of panels on politics and and, uh, and, and health and and race and all kinds of issues that are going on in our community. Uh, We're going to have, most importantly, we're adding this year, we're adding a masquerade ball 
and an award show. So we're doing it. We're doing it big this year. It's going to be the end of October. Uh, all ideas are going to be brought to the table. In fact, I'm going to invite Jason uh, to come to the All Black National Convention also. And uh, and so I hope you all will come out there because it's going to be bigger and blacker and better than before. This will be our sixth convention. No corporate sponsors. Uh, we have had we take no money from the government. Uh, this is strictly from the community. So the people that will be on the stage at the convention will be people who will say what needs to be said. They're going to be B1. And so uh, I will let you all know when the tickets are on sale. If you want to be notified immediately when the um, when the early bird tickets go on sale, make sure you get on the email list. Uh, the email list is um, allblackeconomics.com. You can get a free e-copy of my book, It Takes a Village to Raise the Bar. So you can go to allblackeconomics.com. Make sure you get on the list. I will send out an email when the t- early bird tickets go on sale and you can go ahead and lock it in for your family. So I hope you guys will come out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, I'll be there and I hope you guys have a great day. So thank you all very much. I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.